Good to see everybody. Everybody excited for Christmas? Yeah. A year ago today, did you think that this is what life would look like and what you'd be doing the Saturday before Christmas? Probably not. But that's okay, right? That's probably true every year to some extent. So here we are. Uh, it's just, man, it's good to see everybody here. Good to be together as we roll into Christmas week. I'm going to give a little Christmas message, and I hope it's, uh, I hope it's encouraging to you. Uh, but I want to share something first that I think is encouraging. At the end of what's been a challenging year for <clears throat> probably a variety of reasons, I came across some data, and we're going to see. But I, this came across my desk, and I was pretty excited about it. Well, I was kind of discouraged about it at first, right? Because it shows that this was a poll taken by Gallup, and they do this every year, and they ask people, how do you rate your mental health? And so they took the percentage of people who say, I have excellent mental health, right? Sort of a self-evaluation. And so you can kind of see that first column is uh, last year, and the second column is this year, and the third column is the change. And you'll look, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, how you vote or don't vote, uh, what your race is, your married status. There's like whole more lines of this that I couldn't even put on the screen or you would be able to see it. But there's one there you'll see that I think is really encouraging. And it's right there, that line that says religious service attendance. And so the only group that said from last year to this year, has an increase of the number of people who say that their mental health is excellent, which means their mental health got better from last year, is who? The people who go to church every week. Not just occasionally, not just nearly weekly or monthly or seldom or never, but weekly. And I look around this room and I was looking at the faces who are on the Zoom call, right? Because you guys are counted too. You guys are coming to church weekly. And so I go, well, maybe, maybe not every single one of us would say we have excellent mental health. I know I've had a, a lot of challenges this year, a lot of hard things going on. And that's okay if you don't rank yourself in that category, but there's something there, right? And I think it's interesting. I think it just proves what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10, 25. Anyone know what that verse says? Don't give up meeting together. That's right. Don't give up meeting together. You think God knew what he was doing when he said that? <laughs> I think he did, right? So here's a little bit of proof. And so I'm, encouraged, I'm discouraged by the world around us, but I'm encouraged by this. And so I think there's a couple things we can remember from this. One is keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. No matter what this next year brings, let's keep meeting together. We're going to keep doing it. And the second thing is be on the lookout. Be on the lookout for people around you. Who could you invite in to meeting in church and being part of God's family on a weekly basis? It would probably be good for them, right? If that's the one group that in the midst of a pandemic saw their health increase, maybe we could see some people uh, encouraged in their lives in the next year. So that being said, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then I'll jump into the Christmas story piece here. Yeah, Heavenly Father, God, I am so thankful to be with this group of believers. I am so thankful to be part of your kingdom with this group meeting in this basement right here on this night in December of 2020. God, there's probably, all, all of us could think of a lot of different places maybe we'd want to be. Uh, maybe we can all think of ways that we wish this year had gone differently. 
Lord, I can feel that way. But Lord, this is what you've given us, and this is where you have us. And Lord, we are thankful to be together tonight, and we are thankful this week, this month, to celebrate Jesus Christ. And we want to celebrate his birth and remember it. And as we look tonight at this Christmas story, God, we trust it's going it's to land in our hearts and resonate with us because we're here by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray for those around us who don't know you. And God, as we look at this week and this season, and we're encouraged because we understand the eternal perspective, Lord, there's so many around us who do not. God, we ask that in the coming weeks and months and in 2021 that you would draw them to us, send us into their lives. Lord, give us opportunities and conversations where we can share the truth and the goodness and the gospel with others. God, I thank you for our church. I thank you that we can celebrate tonight. Lord, help us as we turn to the word that we would hear. Lord, that we would hear in our hearts and and be changed. Lord, not because of me or what I'm saying, but because of your word and what you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. There we go. Christmas movies. Who loves Christmas movies? Raise your hand if you love Christmas movies. Yep, my family, we do. We love it, you guys. I don't know, some of you maybe hate him, right? And so there's a bunch here. You might look up, if you can see this on the screen, you might go, yeah, I remember some of those, or I like some of those, or some of those are terrible. I would not recommend every movie on this screen. I just found this picture on the internet, right? And so it's fun, right? We love movies. We love to watch things. I don't know about you. There's something about that fondness and memories of things coming back together. But you notice there's one movie on here that probably would spark a lot of debate, that's that one in the, the black square kind of at the bottom. See that? Die Hard? <laughs> right? That's, that evokes a reaction for a number of people. Right? Again, I didn't make this up. This was, someone said this is a set of Christmas movies. Right? And it's like an ongoing debate. Is that a Christmas movie or not a Christmas movie? Right? It, it takes place at Christmas. I guess maybe it's in the thing of Christmas movies, so I guess it's a Christmas movie, right? Um, and that's probably not that important. We don't need to figure that out or answer that question. And whatever your opinion is, you can hold to it. But I think what's interesting about that as an idea is that there are, uh, there are stories that are intriguing to us. And some of those stories, they, they break the mold, right? Stories that break the mold. Die Hard kind of breaks the mold for the Christmas movie, doesn't it? That's probably why some people are like... Well, Jimmy Stewart's not in it, so how can it be a Christmas movie, right? It kind of breaks that mold. But tonight, I want to share a Bible story with you all that you've probably heard before, but I bet not a single one of you has ever heard presented as a Christmas story. It's a story that kind of breaks the mold of the Christmas story. Why? Why am I going to do that? Well, Sometimes we just kind of read these Christmas stories, don't we? We know it. We know baby Jesus and the manger and the wise men, and even though that was a little later. You know, we kind of have these stories, and we read them, and we hear them, and we forget that they're connected to a broader story. And so I want to share a story from the Bible tonight that's going to help us. It's going to sort of break this mold. And I, it was about a month ago, I, I 
was studying this story as part of some stuff I was doing with school, and I was like, wow, this story is really amazing and how it points us to Christmas, I think. And I don't know, maybe we'll get to the end and you'll be like, Greg, that was not a Christmas story. Okay, that's fine. You, can, you probably don't like Die Hard either, and that's okay. But I think if we look at this story, we're going to have a much richer view of Christmas, and maybe it'll make our celebrations that we have, whatever we're all doing here in the next week or, week or two, make it, it'll just be more richer and uh, just broader and more connected with what the Bible has. So, that being said, we're going to go to the story. If you've got a Bible, you're welcome to turn it to Daniel chapter 2. I bet you weren't expecting that. Daniel chapter 2, and I've got it on the screen, theoretically, if the clicker works. All right, I'm just going to trust you to just follow along while I read from here. All right, so before I get into that, just a little background, right? So the Jews are in exile in Babylon, and Babylon is this great empire, and the king, the ruler, the emperor is Nebuchadnezzar, right? We've all heard of him before, especially if you've seen Veggie Tales. And he is there, and he has a dream, as it seems like he was prone to have dreams. And he has this dream, and he goes to his wise men. Right? We've talked about that before. These wise men eventually, years later, came across the desert to Bethlehem. He goes to these wise men. He's like, you guys are so wise. I had this dream. Because you're so wise, I want you to tell me what was the dream. And then tell me what it means. Kind of a tall task. And the wise men are like, nobody can do that. And he says... Okay, well, you're going to die because you said you couldn't do what the king asked you to do, right? Well, it turns out Daniel is one of those wise men, and he's there, and they come to get him, and he goes, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why don't we ask God? Nobody's asked God. It's like we always say, time to pray. Has it come to that? (laughs) Has it come to that? Let's ask God, and we'll see what God says, and if he gives it to us, right? And so Daniel prays. He gets his three friends. We all know those three friends with the funny names. Right? He went in the fiery furnace and came out, and those guys get together and they pray. And Daniel gets the answer. So he comes to the king. So we pick the verse, the story up here in verse 26. So the king, this Nebuchadnezzar, he declares to Daniel, who was named by the king Belshazzar, he says, <clears throat> Are you able to make known to me the dream I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And then he goes on. He says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. 
As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. All right, so just pausing there, you think about it and you go, well, that's kind of a crazy dream. I hope Daniel was right, because the king would be like, no, I dreamed about asparagus. You know, I don't know what it was, right? But the king was like, all right, you did it. So what in the world was going on here? So he paints this picture that was in the king's dream. And so I've got a picture here of an idea. One, there's, you know, you go on the internet, you find all kinds of pictures of what this could be. But I, I, like, I felt this, like this one was clear, and the guy looks like he's been working out, and I thought that was sort of a good deal, right? But this is a statue. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and Daniel sees this dream later and interprets it for him and says, hey, here is your dream. And so, really, the dream was just simply this statue. So you can kind of see from this picture, there's the head, was gold, and then sort of the upper body is silver, and as it continues on down, it becomes bronze, and then the legs are iron, and then the feet are iron mixed with clay. Right? It's real simple. And then there's a stone. You can see my little picture of a stone there. Right? And you go, okay, so that's what it was. All right, so what's the big deal? That's, you know, sounds like maybe you just had some indigestion or something. Why did you end up with that kind of weird dream? Well, what's it about? Thankfully... The king said, you've got to tell me what this means. And Daniel says, okay, not only am I going to tell you what was in your dream, now I'm going to tell you what it means. So we go on to verse 36. Which I think we got, oh yeah, I labeled that. Go on to verse 36. And he says, now, we'll tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw, the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. So, there's a lot of scholars in the world who've kind of examined this, right? It's kind of an interesting thing, right? They've all looked at Daniel's interpretation of this statue. Right? So if we go to the next slide... I think we see the statue, yeah. So we got the statue, and, you know, there's some varied opinion about, like, what was this, right? What was it? How did it work out? Uh, But it's very clear he's talking about there's this succession of kingdoms, and we know the very first one that he says is, he goes, you, Nebuchadnezzar, the head. So Babylon 
is the head. And so we see that Daniel says, hey, you had this weird dream. It was not a bit of indigestion. It was, in fact, a prophecy predicting a succession of empires. And so did it happen? Well, scholars, whether they're Christian scholars, Jewish scholars, Muslim scholars, secular scholars, they all agree, well, it looks like this happened. It actually happened. So let's walk through it. There's, now, again, there's, there's some varied views on the details, but generally speaking, it came to pass. And here would be sort of one way that seems to make the most sense for me of how it, it played out. Now, obviously, Babylon is the head of gold. He says, you are this one. And then it's going to transition to the next one. Well, guess what? The next kingdom came about. So just to back up, this prophecy was in 500 and something B.C., a little bit later, not too long after that, the Persians took over. About 540 B.C., they took over. And they were not quite as strong, but they transitioned from the head to the shoulders. And then, in about 330 B.C., we got the Greeks. Alexander the Great shows up, and he's amazing. He takes over the world, 330 B.C., and we got the Greek Empire. Well, the Greeks only lasted a little while because then the really strong empire... Iron Empire, the Romans, they showed up. About 145, they conquered Corinth, and that was the end of the Greek Empire. And so then the last bit, we go, well, what is that? And that's probably where the most varied opinions are about what is this sort of clay and this iron. Well, it's kind of just a weakened Rome. Like, however, Rome sort of started to fizzle its way out, and it kind of mixed together, and it was bringing people all together. It was really just strength without a whole lot of cohesion. And that sort of happened as the, the intermixing of the nations came together and it began to decline. Eventually it was overthrown um, through a variety of things. So, now, we look at this, and in and of itself, this is really, really amazing, right? If you really think about that, you go, okay, about 600 years before Jesus was born, in B.C. 600, this thing happens, right? There's, there's like three layers of amazing that I would say. The first layer is... Uh, there was like a prophecy about things that came to pass, right? Like, isn't that amazing? I mean, we've just gone through a whole epic season in our country of people with all sorts of data, all sorts of technology, all sorts of information, and they can't even predict exactly how people are going to vote in an orderly election. And yet somehow this guy had a dream that another guy was able to interpret that showed the succession of empires, that is amazing. There's no way anyone could have just invented this kind of prediction and have it play out. By the way, did you notice over 500 years it took for this stuff to play out? The second thing, this king had this prophecy come to him as a dream. And as you know, not a single one of us that I know of has any control over anything we dream. Nothing. I don't have any control over it. He has this dream. Right? I had some weird dreams. I had some really weird dreams this week for some reason. Right? That's okay. This guy had this dream and he said, I know this means something. What does it mean? Go, okay, so that's interesting. The third thing, the sort of the third layer, is that Daniel didn't just say, well, tell me what your dream is and I'll tell you what it means. He said, God told me what your dream is and he was right. And then he said, and here's what it means. And that was right. It's like three layers of amazing. I think it's cool. And yet, while all of that is really, really, really incredible, that's not the end of the story. We could just stop there and say, wow, amazing. 
Amazing that thing happened. Isn't God amazing that he let that happen? But that's not it. It's almost kind of just the beginning of the story. Because Daniel goes on to describe, this is what's going to happen to this chain of empire. So we go to that next slide. And we pick up in verse 44. He says to the king, he says, In the days of those kings, talking about the ones sort of at the bottom of the statue, he says, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut through a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. And then just to put the exclamation point, he goes, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. So he's like, you can take that to the bank, Nebuchadnezzar. So what is this all about? The God of heaven will set up a kingdom? The God of heaven will set up a kingdom? Well, he's clearly talking about the stone, right? There's this stone that shows up, not, it was cut from a mountain, not by a human hand. So we go to that slide, next slide. Stone is God's kingdom. Well, what do we mean? And, and what do we know? We see that in contrast to, say, these, all these earthly empires, we have a kingdom. And this kingdom is different because the creator has made this kingdom. And then Daniel goes on and tells us a few things about it. The first thing he tells us is he says his kingdom will not be destroyed or abandoned. And you go, okay, that's nice. But think about that. What earthly kingdom has ever lasted? None. They've all been destroyed. They've all been overrun. They've been, they've been abandoned. As much as we love the United States of America, it's not going to last. Sorry to break it to you if you were hoping it would last forever. So that's one thing it tells us. He also tells us it's going to supersede government. All other government. He's setting up a kingdom that is above other governments. This means it's going to be more important. It's going to be larger than any other empire that ever existed. Not just geographically, but culturally, linguistically, historically. He also says it's going to bring an end to the age of empires. We can all probably be thankful for that, that we're not living in an age of empires anymore because they were kind of a bloody, messy place. But you can say, wait a second, wait a second, weren't there other empires after Rome? I don't think so. Uh, they, they never really had the same world power that these did. There were empires, but they were kind of quasi, you know, the Holy Roman Empire, or the the British Empire, but they weren't really empires. And guess what? Every single one that you might say was possibly an empire, guess who defeated them? Christians. It was faith, either through evangelism, the military, or economics, or there were empires that were kind of run by Christians, and they were very benevolent and brought freedom. So they weren't really empires in the same way. So those are three things it tells us. Another thing it tells us about the kingdom is it says it will be, it, it, it became and was filling. You can go to that next slide. It, it, and so that means it's a process. This kingdom is a process. And it's a process that's in process. I know that kind of twists the tongue a little bit. But does this bear itself to be true? Is this true? God's kingdom shows up, and you probably know where we're headed with this, but it shows up and we say, hey, 
God's kingdom, did it just show up and take over the whole world in an instant? No, it's a process. And here we are, and it's still in process, isn't it? And we know it's not done. I've got a couple verses here. The first one, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul's talking about the end, the end of time. He says, each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we know this hasn't happened yet. But we can see here the process. The kingdom is moving from a point of beginning towards an end. And that end is a place where God's kingdom is going to encompass the entire earth. And what's going to happen? Death is going to be defeated. This is pretty exciting to me. Another verse from Jesus himself in Matthew 24. Jesus is talking about the end. He says, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony. To who? To all nations, all the nations, and then the end will come. Then the end will come. See, Jesus is showing us the gospel has got to be proclaimed to the entire inhabited world. And has this happened yet? No, it hasn't. But it's, we're getting closer all the time. Another thing we can see, we go to the next side. The kingdom is a process, and it had a beginning. It had a beginning, and the beginning is that point where the stone in the dream strikes the statue. There is a beginning. It's interesting there, Daniel relates it. He says, he says it is a stone cut out by no human hands. Well, it's very interesting. If you go back to the original language, the original word for cut out is Aramaic. It's an Aramaic word that basically means divined. It was a divined stone. So it was a stone that was divined by the divine, which is kind of interesting. And so this dream showed, hey, God is going to show up. The creator is making this. This isn't just some men who rise up and take over power. This is someone who God has chosen, God has set forth and sets there. And here's the beginning. And where is the beginning? The beginning is at the feet. And where is the feet in history? That's the Roman Empire, isn't it? And so who showed up there right as the Roman Empire was starting to decay and get brittle and not work so well together? Jesus Christ showed up right there. And so here we are, 600 years or so before it happens. The Messiah is predicted. So let's review what this story really tells us. You can go to the next slide. So here we are, 600 BC or so. The ruler of the world's strongest empire has a vivid dream. And there's this Jewish wise man who is very much out of place in Babylon, right? He probably shouldn't be there, but he's there. And he describes perfectly for that ruler exactly what that dream was. Then he interprets the meaning of that dream through divine revelation from God, the God of the universe. And as it turns out, that dream is a prophecy, not just of like small matters like, hey, there's going to be a famine next year or something, but it's about the succession of world-dominating empires proceeding from that current ruler through four successive changes of empire. 
then, as that fourth empire weakens, the dream says that this God, this God who helped interpret this, is going to send a new kind of ruler to establish a new kind of kingdom. And this new kingdom is going to be invincible. It will be more powerful than all other governments. It will bring an end to the age of empires, and it will grow over time until it is found in every corner of the earth. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I read this and I go, that sounds like fantasy. But it came to pass. It has come to pass. So, can you see how this is a Christmas story? It's a Christmas story. The main character of the dream, the most important thing in this whole thing is not the statue, it's not Daniel, it's not the king, it's who? It's the stone, Jesus Christ. And there, right as the Roman Empire, the fourth empire in that succession of empires, right as it is beginning to weaken and become brittle, the stone shows up. And he shows up in Bethlehem, which another prophecy said was going to happen too. Isn't that amazing? God promised it right there in Babylon 600 years before. And so this week, as you celebrate Christmas, right? I think we're all going to celebrate Christmas. We desperately need to celebrate Christmas this year. I want to encourage you. It's been an unusual year, but think about this sort of unusual story. And I want you to remember the old familiar Christmas stories and think about this unusual story. I think about a couple things. I got two points here. Put them on the screen. The first one is this. Remember that we live in an age of the growing mountain. Remember that? The stone shows up and it grows and it grows and it grows until it gets to all the corners of the earth. And we get to live in that time. Daniel didn't get to live in that time. All those people from Daniel until Christ didn't get to live in that time. We get to live in that time. We know who the stone is. And we get to watch and participate in seeing it grow into the mountain that fills the earth. That is cool. The second thing is this. We can be confident that the story is going to end well. I think that's been a theme this year, hasn't it? How is this going to end? What is the end game? Where is this going? What is going to happen? Hey, we know the most important story. We know where it's going to end. There are innumerable problems in the world around us right now. But we can see this prophecy from Daniel chapter 2 has been fulfilled faithfully through the centuries and it is taking place right now. And so we can look to the end and say, the mountain is going to fill it up, it's going to take it over, it's going to be the kingdom that never ends. We can be confident this this prophecy is going to be fulfilled. And one day, one day, we're going to get to see the kingdom fill the entire earth and we're part of it. And I hope that encourages you. And so that's my, my challenge to you this week is to think about that. Think about where we live. That It's not just, oh, baby Jesus in the manger, but he showed up. He showed up so that we could live in this age and he's going to bring it to fulfillment. I hope you're encouraged. I'm encouraged. I'm going to pray. Close our time. Thank you, Heavenly Father. God, thank you that you didn't just do this. Lord, I... I think about this, the story of Jesus and him coming to earth and I go, Lord, you, you could have just done it. And you did it. But you left all these markers. You made all these prophecies beforehand to point to how real it is. 
and to give us confidence and to give us hope that we're not just putting together some random events and saying, hey, that looks like God's doing something. We can see it woven tightly together. And so, God, I thank you for that. God, I thank you for the Christmas story. Lord, I know this is an unusual one. Think about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But, God, it points us to that place where Jesus Christ came to earth so that he could live a sinless life, that he would go to death on the cross so that he could pay the penalty for our sins, that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. The whole point of all of that takes us to that. Lord, thank you. Thank you for that. Lord, help us this week. Lord, help me this week to not forget that truth. What you have put together, what you have pointed out for us in history, in scripture, recorded for us. Lord, as we make the turn here into into a new calendar year, Lord, I pray that you would give us encouragement. Give us peace. Lord, you are the God of peace. Lord, in the midst of things being really uncertain still around us, Lord, we just trust you're going to give us peace. Lord, we trust you're going to lead us to lost people and broken people and hurting people and wandering people. Not because we want to build some organization, but because we want to be building your kingdom. Lord, we want to be part of seeing that mountain grow to fill the corners of the earth, including our little corner right here. God, we trust you for that. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.